one of my favorite theological writers is J.I. Packer. Um, he wrote the classic book that shaped a lot of people in my generation, Knowing God. If you have not read that and you want to read something that's rich, it'll take you deep. It's a great book, but he has a great essay on joy where he talks about uh, the importance of joy. And he tells a little story in there where he says in England, rather than saying, how are you? There are parts of England that if we were to go there today because of the impact of Christianity, the question is, any joy? Do you have any joy? Also in this essay, he talks about if you're miserable and grumpy, he says, if you're miserable and grumpy, you're saying no to joy. If you're filled with a lot of anxiety and disappointment and frustration, are you saying no to joy? Are you hiding from joy? Uh, are you missing out on a central uh, component of life in the spirit, which is joy? The fruit of the spirit is love and joy. We're made to run on joy. Now, one of the things I hope I get to do is come back and be with all of you and share with you some of the things that I'm getting ready to learn as I work with a ministry out of Boulder, Colorado, um, which trains people in ministry and churches to increase their joy. It trains people to learn how joy applies in different settings of life. So rather than our capacity of joy shrinking and going away, it's actually increasing. It's actually growing. And we're learning how to be a people of joy, a community of joy, and, um, and that is at the heart of why Jesus came. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That message will still preach. Um, as part of my mission statement, um, it's, I say in my mission statement, uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that co-created world of good news, of great joy. And then it keeps going, but I'm taking that from Luke 2.10. Because when Jesus was born, the angel announced to the shepherds that he will bring good news of great joy. So one of the ways you can measure what you need today is how much joy do you need? <laughs> do you need great joy? Uh, do you have joy? Are you running away from joy? And are you saying no to joy because... God wants to teach you how to enter into the experience, first of all, of his joy in you, that he really does enjoy you uh, very much. He loves you so much. But he wants you to know his joy as your strength. And that's from Nehemiah 8.10. So here we are in the resurrection scene. We're in Luke 24, and we're going to just look at these different things that happen which hopefully you're gonna say this morning with me, heaven yes, <laughs> I want that. I want what God wants for me, and I wanna know the same things that the disciples experienced on that first glorious experience of the resurrection. We wanna be a church that practices resurrection. So we start off here where we see, and they were talking about these things, and Jesus stood among them. On the Emmaus Road, Jesus draws near. They don't know it's him, but when he stands among them, they know he's there. And here's one of the things I want to encourage you is that Jesus is so ready to reveal himself to you. We sang, open my eyes in wonder of who you are. Paul in Ephesians says, pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened 
to see him. And in seeing him, you would know what he is inviting you to. So Jesus appears here, and it had to be overwhelming because the doors are locked. They're anxious, fearful, discouraged, disappointed. And he appears to them, and notice what he says to them, peace to you. Now, the peace is not just a feeling of calm. It's this deep assurance that God is with me. He is for me. He is here to help me. He's using the word, Hebrew word for shalom. Some of you know I sign my emails and texts and everything, and I'll say shalom. It means this idea of flourishing, that you have a sense that I'm getting healthier. I'm growing emotionally. I'm becoming an emotionally healthy follower of Jesus because his peace is coming into my life with such a deep awareness of his love for me and his desire to bless me and to encourage me. So peace to you this morning, uh, my friends. Peace to you. And if you don't know that peace, let me just say a couple things about it. One is, is that we all have a problem. We're separated from God. And there has to be something happen which establishes peace between us and God. And this is why Jesus came, to bring peace between us and God so that we're not worried about how God thinks about us and sees us. One of the great things that Martin Luther, the great reformer, talked about, but we talk about in a lot of our training and helping people know Jesus better, is that number one, God is not angry with you anymore. He's not angry with you. And you go, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I do some pretty terrible stuff. I'm still a pretty miserable person. I say no to joy every day. And you're saying God's not disappointed, frustrated, angry with me? And the answer is, he's not angry with you. He struggles with you. He's angry with choices that you make, but he's not angry with you because he loves you perfectly. That love, which is a perfect peace, which is a steadfast reality, and here's the real challenge to understand that, to really experience that. We need to be in community where we pray for each other, listen to each other, love each other well, so that we can separate what I do from who I am in him. To really know that he has given me his peace. He is my peace. And here's the beautiful thing. He gives me his peace which passes understanding. Because if we get quizzed about this, if I ask you about it, you go, surely God has to look at me and be so disappointed, so frustrated. Because I continue to mess it up. <laughs> I continue to get it so wrong. So here's a piece that passes understanding. How is it that God could be so patient with you and still love you so much? Because Jesus, who is our peace, won that peace at the cross. And uh, if you listen to me, you know I bring a lot of Tim Keller uh, into uh, the uh, messages that I bring. And I'm very excited. All of his messages are going to be online soon for free. So if you want just good devotional reading or you're studying or teaching a Bible passage, you go, I wonder how Tim taught this. It's all going to be online. It's all going to be free. I mean, Tim is probably the best voice in our generation of people who can communicate what I struggle to communicate is the love of God for people like me and you. It is so, it's going to be so rich. But one of the things that Tim loves to talk about is that what Christ has done for us, he's gained for us two things. One, 
perfect acceptance from God through living the life we should have lived and then dying the death we should have died so that we could know this amazing, massive, epic love that he has for us. He paid it all so that we could have his love for us. And again, Tim is the master of illustration, so uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, he's a big Lord of the Rings fan, so I'm gonna tell you a quick story because Valerie and I have gotten to know Tim along in our journeys in the PCA and the denomination we're in. But when we were uh, when pastoring in New York City, Tim and Kathy invited us between Christmas and the New Year's to come out and hang out with them at a vacation house near New York City. So we went out with our three now college-age uh, children. I think, well, two of them are still in high school, but our son was in college. And Luke, our son, is a big fan of Lord of the Rings. All right, big fan of Lord of the Rings. Um, and so uh, Tim and Luke and I are all sitting in a little coffee room, and Tim's sitting at his computer, he's typing away. Luke's reading, I'm reading. But I thought, I gotta get Luke engaged in conversation with Tim. So he said, said, Tim, can we take a little break? I, wanna, I want Luke to get to know you. He said, sure. And I said, Tim, how many times have you read Lord of the Rings? Thinking, you know, he's read it a few times, whatever. He goes, hmm, I've probably read it 55 to 60 times. <laughs> and I go, what? You know, it's like, and Luke just immediately sat up. And Luke asked him a very esoteric question about the poetry that's Nordic, if you know Lord of the Rings. And Tim goes on for an hour and talks about the poetry that's created from the elves in the Lord of the Rings. Well, wow. If Tim gives his mind and heart to something like that, when you begin to watch and listen to him preach, again, gospel life, his sermons are all online, uh, but you listen to somebody who's going so deep because to know Tim is that he is such a man of joy, deep, deep joy. But just this week, I was listening to one of his sermons, and I've never seen, heard him use this illustration again. Uh, but it goes like this. He just says, when Jesus came for us, he came to get down on one knee and to propose to us a gift that only he could give us. And he did it at the cross. Now, you want a beautiful picture of the gospel. Some of you still are not sure if Jesus is real and he's for you. But it's at the cross Jesus proposes to us this gift of peace with God, this gift of eternal life, this gift of, of everlasting joy. And he slips the ring on our finger and says, you are now mine. That's how the gospel works. And it's so powerful and so beautiful. And you should talk about something that, uh, when I think about it, brings me such joy, uh, brings you such joy, is to know that when Jesus is stepping in among the disciples and said, peace be with you, he says, I'm here to be your peace. I'm here to help you. And I'm here to give you a peace that passes all understanding. How is it possible that God would love somebody like me who still messes up so much and gives him every reason to cast me out? It's because he is one for me through his life and death. This relationship with him, which is irrevocable, I'm never going to lose it. He's never going to forsake me. And my friend, if you can get a hold of that today and it sinks in a little bit, you're going to have incredible joy. Because we notice what happens here is that Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do you doubts arise in your hearts? Because 
Some of you right now, even as I've been trying to communicate some of this, there are doubts, there are fears, there's questions that you're having. But notice what Jesus says, which is so beautiful. See my hands and feet and touch me. Now, the beautiful thing about Christianity, it brings together spirituality and the material world together like this. Jesus gets really physical. I mean, it doesn't get more physical than Jesus being a baby in a manger. Because when you look at Jesus in a manger, you're drawn to that. How many of you and all the wonderful babies we have here, when you see a baby, you want to look at them, and if you get permission, you want to hold them, because Jesus basically is inviting us to touch and see that what he's done for us is this real. So here's a great picture to think about that should give you joy this morning is this, is that um, when we go to be with Jesus in heaven, and this is in the hymn, Crown Him With Many Crowns, when he is in heaven and we're looking at him and worship him and he holds up his hands, we're going to see the scars of his, what he went through. He is bodily resurrected. We're going to see those wounds rich yet visible above. And he's letting them see his wounds. And in heaven, those wounds will be with him forever. <laughs> he's never going to lose them which should encourage you because many of you have scars on your soul and in your life experience that you go, I'm never going to be free from them. Oh, yes, you will be. You will be if you have to wait to heaven, but you don't have to wait to heaven to be freed from the damage that's been done to you. You can find healing, my friend. And when Jesus says, peace be with you, he's inviting you to a deeper, profound heaven this side of heaven that if you are constantly struggling, when you hear the invitation to joy or worship or freedom, you go, no, you know, you don't say it out loud, uh, but you really have this spirit in you that says, I don't want to hear that. I don't want you telling me that because the pain of what I carry is so much greater than the privilege that Jesus has given me. And this is the hope of the gospel. Jesus can be of sin, your double cure. He can cleanse you from its guilt and your pain and its power so that you're not in bondage to this commitment to hide and not let Jesus love you as much as he does and set you free. And so we see what goes on here is that Jesus uh, interacts with them. And you just got, I mean, you got to just listen to this. This is so good. It should really encourage you this morning because uh, he says, touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones uh, as you see that I have. And when he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his feet. And now verse 41, you got to love this. Go look at this later if you don't have your Bible with you. But it says, and while they were still disbelieving, dis still disbelieved for joy, and were marveling, he said to them. So you see this combination of a mixture of unbelief, doubt, fear, and joy and marveling. And here's the beautiful thing about being a follower of Jesus. You can be that real. Uh, Paul's going to say we're always sorrowful yet joyful. We're struggling to believe, but we're finding hope. You know, uh, it's an old saying, but the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. <laughs> you know, I remember I was... Uh, uh, reading in Philippians where it says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. 
And I thought, man, this is so good, I need to hear this. And our son Luke, who when he was a teenager, was really struggling with a bad attitude towards his sister, one of his sisters. And he was grumbling and complaining about her. And I went in and he's laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep. I said, Luke, I've just read the best news for you. And he goes, what's that? And I read to him from Philippians 4, do everything without grumbling and complaining. And I says, you see how that helps you with, our, with your sister? And he looks at me and he goes, Dad, that's impossible. <laughs> now, what my son understood, which we understand, is that it is impossible unless Jesus helps us to stop grumbling and complaining and say yes to joy. To say yes, it's real. It's for me. It's for me as a wife, as a husband, as a parent. I can have so much joy. So here is just the one of the challenges from the message today. I want you to ask people who are in your sphere of influence, whether it's your spouse, uh, children, grandchildren, do you think I am joyful? So ask the people who watch you the most and say, do I communicate joy? Now you're going to have to define joy as not just being happy, but deep, deep joy. There was a woman I worked with, and, uh, and I would say to her, um, do you have any joy? And she would smile, she'd go, deep, deep down in my heart, I've got joy. Now some of you know that old camp song, do you have joy? I have it deep, deep down in my heart. But it communicates by the way we respond to people who are miserable and are not doing well and who are complaining and are saying no to everything and anything we have hope for them that things can change for them. So do you have joy this morning? And here's the challenge, do you want your joy to increase? Do you want to increase your capacity for the joy that the resurrection uh, brings to us? Because Jesus is gonna open their minds to the scriptures, he's gonna remind them it's about him, our great source of great joy. And then he's going to say, you know, you're witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with the power from on high. Because you see, the kind of joy that God wants us to live out only comes through the Holy Spirit, and it only comes to people who say, apart from you, God, I cannot do this. Apart from you, I cannot have this kind of joy. Now, if I've told this story before, uh, just bear with me. And, you know, my dad used to tell the same stories over and over, and my brothers and I would look at each other and go, here we go again, same old story. So if I've told this one before, just bear with me, and let me just share it with you again, because it really illustrates what God wants to offer you. So let's just back up the bus. Beep, 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 beep. Okay, let's back it up a little bit. And think about where you like joy. Think about where there is zero joy and say, how is it possible that I can learn to have joy where there is no joy? How can I learn to express joy where everything in me says, do not open that door? <laughs> you know, I enjoy being upset. I enjoy my self-pity. Thank you very much. So I'm going to stay hiding behind the things that keep me in prison to the things that are causing me to miss the things that I want so much. Okay, so um, one of my great joys of being a pastor is doing weddings. So I've done a lot of weddings, and when we, uh, back in Winston-Salem, the church that we're pastoring, got to know this young woman who was single, 
uh, but she was older and, and she, did, she had dated guys but never got married. She runs her own company. She's a very successful businesswoman. And I would always think that I'd talk to our friends about how did she never get married? You know, she's past that age when most women get married. She's a single businesswoman. And um, I just, you know, I just grieved the fact that she has so much to offer in a marriage context. But again, I'm not gonna, you know, maybe she's called to be single. I'm not gonna mess with it. So long story real short, uh, I meet somebody and one of the things I, Valerie will tell you, I, lo I love being a matchmaker. Any of you love to be matchmakers? Okay, I love to be matchmakers, okay. So I'm on a mission trip uh, with her and we're going to the Dominican Republic to do some investigation work. She's with me and we're talking and uh, about stuff. And then it clicks for me through a mutual friend on the church and, she, and the person says, has she met so-and-so? Would you introduce them and see where it goes? Now, if you want something that's really scary, try and be a matchmaker with somebody who's lived with a lot of disappointment. Say, can I introduce you to so-and-so? Uh, you know, it's like, you know, hold the phone out, you know, you're waiting for like, how are you? And I was always kind of, she said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll meet him and all this kind of stuff. And then, um, uh, and so she, uh, she says, okay. So again, I'm gonna speed up the story. They meet and they fall in love. It is just like off the charts. You talk about real joy, unbelievable joy. Like, wow, for both of them. But I, I am doing the preparation for the wedding and I'm talking to her and she says, Clyde, I'm so afraid that when I get married, I'm gonna start crying and I will not be able to stop and I'll ruin it for everybody. And you go, well, that's why we pray. You know, I just started talking to her, trying to coach her up a little bit. We're going to get through it. But I could see she had this look of dread about her Like, My greatest fear is that I am going to mess this up. <laughs> so anyway, we go to the day of the wedding. Church is packed because of their history in Winston-Salem, their friendships, their relationships. And I'm standing right there in the foyer and I'm getting ready to walk in, and Jesus is talking to me about his love for me, and I'm saying, Jesus, I need to confess. I, I think I'm really good at weddings. You've made me really good at doing weddings. So my, my temptation here is to rely on my own ability and my skill, 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 <laughs> my skills to do the wedding in a way that, um, you know, people are gonna say, Clyde, you're, you're one of the best guys I've ever seen do weddings. I mean, you're so good, could you do my wedding? You know? But anyway, so, um, and so I said, Jesus, I just wanna admit, I don't wanna mess this up for her. Um, and I can't do this unless you help me. It was a simple admission. I can't do it unless you help me. That's a clue. If you're missing out on joy, just say, Jesus, I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to find it, but he's ready to give it because he's going to help you say yes to joy. Okay, so standing in the foyer, we walk in the wedding. You know, one of the great things about doing uh, marriage at weddings is that when I'm standing up front, I get to see the bride walk down. And I get to see the groom stand there and start crying like a baby and all that kind of stuff. But I get to see them walk up. And I'm seeing her walk up uh, with her dad and she gets up front and I look at her and I start to say, we wanna welcome everybody today to their wedding, blah, blah, blah. And I just start weeping. 
I mean, I just totally fall apart. And Valerie will tell you, I'm just not a weeper in public. But I mean, I'm just undone with just the sadness of the year she spent as a single woman, the sadness of her story, the sadness of sheer, her fear that she's going to start crying and won't be able to stop and mess it up for everybody. All that's just inside of me, and I'm just weeping. And she's looking at me like, are you going to be okay? All right, so class, here we go. So how did that help her that day? I was the one who made the scene. I was the one that, you know, did it for her. And when I wept like that, I was her substitute. I took on all that sadness, all that brokenness that she was carrying and all that fear. And I felt it and I wept for her. So it was one of the greatest weddings I've ever done. Now what happened there? Jesus came inside of me and freed me up to do something I would never, 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 ever, ever, ever do. And that is to feel profound sadness for her sadness. I became her substitute. Now you see the beauty of that, what Jesus did for us? He took on all our sadness, all our fear. And some of you have a great fear of giving in to joy, don't you? You're afraid if I get happy, what are people, I mean, I've got this mantra, I've got this way of relating that, you know, I've got this martyr soup that I love to share with people. I have these problems, I have these needs. But when I meet with my friends, they never hear me go, can I tell you how good Jesus is? Can I tell you the joy that I find because of what he's done for me? Friends, it's impossible unless you embrace that Jesus stood in your place and took on all your sadness, all your fears, all your guilt, all your shame, so that in its place, he would give you his joy. And you see, that's what propels the early church to go into a world where the world is, appears to be all over them. And then the next thing you know, they're on top of the world because they've got so much joy. You read it right here at the end because Luke said they had great joy. They were in the temple every day, which put them in trouble because they're not supposed to be worshiping Jesus. I mean, but they had no fear. They just went and they worshiped. And so, friends, will you say heaven yes to his joy for you today? His desire to bring joy to you that will really release you to places you'd never go without him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your unfailing love for us, your desire to help us and make your love real to us. And so, Jesus, help us, we pray. Uh, to say yes to joy, uh, to come to this table of joy and restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Uh, Lord, there are people here who know you, but they've lost their joy. The devil's stolen their joy. And I pray you'd give it back to them today in ways that they can't even keep up with how glorious it is. Amen.